This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Paraswap. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where together with our guests and with our family and friends, we get to dive deep and understand with, with crypto's most influential leaders, founders, OGs, CEOs, brilliant people, to understand where we came from, where we are now, to understand where we're going, really how this movement truly came to be. Today, we're diving in with Fernando Martinelli. Fernando, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure yeah, to be here. It's really exciting to have you here. You're the CEO of Balancer Labs. And for those who don't know, Balancer was founded, what, in I think around March 2020 as, a, as an automated market maker. And we, we kind of use that now, AMM. And back then, like a year ago, a year and a half ago, AMM wasn't even really a thing. DeFi wasn't really a thing yet. Uh, you developed this on the Ethereum blockchain and launched and with a $3 million seed round by Placeholder and Accomplice. And you guys function very differently, actually, from my research than what we typically understand as the decentralized exchanges like Uniswap and, a and AMMs and things like that. You you started working on MakerDAO as one of your first projects in the space. And what's really cool is that you have all these different features that make Balancer unique. So I'm excited to talk about that. I'm excited to talk about how uh, Ethereum upgraded to EIP 1559. I need to understand the macro situation of that and how it can affect everything in the future. I want to understand how Balancer is different from other AMMs, but really like the common thread of the show today is what you've done is you've introduced new revenue streams that provide the same level playing field of profits for the individual, but also for the institution. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I feel great. I think Balancer is definitely the the project of my life and the idea of my life. And I'm, I'm very excited about crypto in general, have been since I first learned about Bitcoin. And even before Ethereum launched, I was already an Ethereum. Um, very excited with stable coins from, from the early days of Ethereum. And that's why, as you mentioned, Charlie, I got involved with MakerDAO and, and did some contributions there. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. And, and Balancer is taking a very interesting approach uh, of being a, a platform of AMMs. And we're going to talk more about that. But that's that's the main difference from uh, between Balancer V1, which was more like a, a, a product, I would say, like a proof of concept, and Balancer V2, which is this real like the space layer for other teams to build on top and create their crazy ideas or or yeah in order for them to easily deploy their own crazy ideas of AMMs like balancer is the is the base layer for that so I'm well, pretty excited about that you talk about you talk about crazy and what's interesting here with balancer that I've learned you know you have to we have hundreds of guests on the show and every project is on this path to decentralization hopefully and a lot of times they're not there yet. And that's okay. That's part of the process that you guys have, have really gotten to that point now where there's no back doors. You don't have any like control over the pools. They're not upgradable in that sense where you can come in and make uh, changes for better or for worse. They're kind of, they run on their own state. That must've been a difficult place to get to. Yeah. So that, that's definitely uh, one of the mantras uh, we have. One of the accents that I always um try to follow is yeah make sure that people cannot be rug pulled like don't trust verify so um balancer actually balancer v2 has a lot of flexibility but pool the pools at least the pools that we created and anyone can create their pools that are 
upgradable and anyone providing liquidity to do to, to those pools has to know that uh yeah the code of the pools they're investing can change and they have some risk associated but at least the pools that Balancer Labs kind of put out there, they they are immutable, as you said, Charlie. So no one no one can have their money kind of stolen because someone changed the code. Sure. Of course, there might there can be bugs Smart always. Smart contracts but... always have issues. Yeah, but very exactly, new technology. Yeah. But immutability this very early on, a lot of projects on purpose don't go for that because there are changes that need to be made certain states. But at the same time, the hindrance to that is personally myself, a lot of people, institutions won't put money into things that can be controlled by very few people. You're wearing a great shirt. For those who are not watching, they don't see. This is where I say go subscribe to my YouTube channel. But I love your shirt. It's this balancer. I like I like the stones, you know, your logo. It 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 kind of gives me like, I don't know if you've done on my other shows, I have this very high energy very calm now gives me a nice sense of peace kind of uh aesthetically pleasing balance right balance yeah do you follow the same ethos of balance throughout your whole life yeah i think i'm i'm a a very balanced and, and relaxed person uh it's hard for me to get stressed and i'm uh i try always to be nice uh to people not the most controversial figure in DeFi. Like you see a lot of people fighting and and people uh bad mouthing other protocols i i really I don't think I've ever badmouthed any any protocols. Like there's some instances of of things where I know things are not going to go well, and I I just say in a polite way, in a constructive way. For example, uh, uh, Bancor v2.0, like they yeah. uh, were planning on using oracles from Chainlink, and I was like, no, you're going to be front run. It's not going to end well. I said that, but they didn't hear me, and and it ended up uh, exactly the way I I predict. Yeah. Anyway, so I I remember. I'm yeah. Everyone, so. Things yeah. happen. But something like that is important because that, you know, we need to continue being a self-regulatory body, not just with le- regular like legal compliance, but also code compliance, making sure that the oracles that we're using, the libraries that we're using, you know, you can't even call them libraries. They're like fresh books, you know, modules <laughs> and functions that we're all sharing between each other copying and pasting code. I just did a whole show with someone and we literally talked about how copying and pasting code from one blockchain to another when one gets hacked, all you do is like check how on the bottom of the article, how many other, you know, coins were affected by it. That that shouldn't be. And and as our industry grows and we learn to have code libraries and we learn to be able to share information, that's what you're saying. And that's very important. Right. Yeah. So you you like talk about balance, talk about everything. You got into the space. Um, there's a great I think there's a great quote for you I have here where you talk about how when Ethereum came out, I was really excited about the idea of smart contracts because I always had the idea that in order to get mass adoption, Bitcoin needed to have some stability or some type of stable coin. I think what you were saying was that there needed to be balance. People are not used to what uh, what they have changing like value by, I don't know, multiple X in, in a month. So yeah, that that that's that's always been on my mind. Like we, we need some sort of stable crypto that uh, will allow people to, like 99% of people are, are just not, don't operate the way uh, we insane DeFi crypto people do. Like we're, we're fine yeah. if it crashes 10% today and then another 20 tomorrow, uh, but most people don't. So we, we need to um, get something for these people in order to, 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 to be uh, or to have mass adoption, which I think is, is the objective, right? We want people coming from Venezuela and from uh, Turkey having the same opportunities that people from, from the US, which is not at all the case today. Like this, this geographical lottery, 
and it, this is really one of the things that I think crypto is, is amazing for. And we've seen uh, so many nice stories about that. So that, yeah, I think that's, that's well, where's uh, the balance? long-term goal. Because people want stability, but you also need volatility. You need yields. You need trading. You need the ability to have market right. making. If everything was stable, there'd be no nothing. So what's right, yeah. the balance, I should say? We're going to use balance 50 times this episode. What's the balance between the two, in your opinion? Yeah, totally. I think the so the, the there's always uh, in many protocols there are like two different sides uh, or markets or players, and one of the sides takes a more less risky kind of uh, approach. And uh, yeah, and, and and that's the case for uh, for stable coins, where if you open a, a leverage position, like the main use case for for MakerDAO has been always has always been to leverage and, and like buy more ETH. So you use your ETH to generate mint die and then you buy more ETH. And, and that that balance in, in that case is, as you say, Charlie, like people are going leverage and they can get wrecked. But that's what makes the system over collateralized and allows uh, people who are just holding die to have their security. People holding die don't have any risks, right? They're sitting on one of the sides. But if if there weren't people willing to hold die, because this it's interesting for them to have stability. Then people who want to go uh, long ETH yeah, wouldn't exactly. have anyone to sell that die, right? So uh, I think in many in many protocols in crypto, you see you see the the balance uh, of, of two sides, of two types of yeah, of really types of players. Yeah, is the stablecoin the killer app for crypto? Is are we going to you know in fifty years from now will they look back at the first ten years of you know the advent of Bitcoin to to now where we are now and these will they look at the decade and will they say stable coins was the the killer app of the decade oh, that's a great question i i i think so i think yeah. i tend to agree just, a little bit yeah. too yeah yeah it's it permeates everything you know if you want to have insurance if you want to have exchange if you want to have anything you have to have this reference currency to which people are already kind of aware or of which people are from uh, aware and familiar with so you need usd tokens, right? People have sure. to to have this kind of reference point. So yeah, I, I, I would say so. Yeah. Right now, I think Bitcoin's volatility is still so crazy because it's like perfect price discovery that takes a long time. It may take two decades, you know, it may take 20 years for, 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 for Bitcoin's price to become stable within a range, a predictable range, like kind of like how gold is now or whatever. Well, I shouldn't use gold as an example. Do you think um, we can have a stable coin on top of Bitcoin at some point in the future. Um, well, backed there... by Bitcoins, not backed by like that's that's I, I want to see I want to see stable coins that are not backed by fiat. How do we get to that point? Yeah. Doesn't matter which blockchain it's like, on. Like really. like Dai is backed sure. by Ethereum and other uh, other uh, collateral types. But you today. see, when there's heavy you know crashes, it doesn't maintain its stability. What volatility do we need to be at? where we can safely have like a stable, stable coin? A stable, stable coin. I, I think we're getting, it, it, it's, in, someone tweeted this, uh, I don't know, like six months ago. It's incredible how well DAI worked. It's incredible. It's like yeah. completely like non-custodial, like no one can freeze your funds like uh, with USDC or USDT. Uh, it, it's, it's been through like crashes of like 90% and still survived and, and, also periods where it was a bit right overpegged, like when when so when, yeah. when people yeah when people are like longing ETH a lot then uh then it goes a bit over one so it it's incredible how stable it is oh my god you're right 
I'm looking at the chart now. Look at the all-time chart of DAI. The listeners, check this out. It's, re- it's actually really cool to see. And you almost want to look at what the hell happened on some of those days. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Black Thursday. It's, yeah, uh, oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's That's a crazy, crazy chart to look at. Oh my God. Exactly, yeah. But, you know, <sighs> at, at the end, the system goes back to one like every time. And, and I think it's, it's the, the famous Lindy effect, right? If, if everyone like mostly agrees that this, this is not going to break down because the fundamentals are solid. And the alignment of incent- alignment of incentives is, is is solid as well, and and, and crypto is all about align- alignment of incentives, right? Yeah, I think people just expect it to be at one, and and it, it makes it it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. The longer it, it is close to one, yeah, the more people trust it. But back to your question, uh, Charlie, of, of um, having a stable coin on Bitcoin, I like there is there's been always like talks of having smart contracts on on Bitcoin. In uh, having having stable coins on Bitcoin, I, I mean, like I think the this, the the ship has sailed. This battle is lost. I think Bitcoin's like real strength is immutability. Yep. And if now Bitcoin starts changing things and having more opcodes that allows for more for for smart contracts, then I think it will be neither the the immutable thing that people uh, really believe and trust and let their money in nor as successful as Ethereum because Ethereum has, I don't know, a hundred times more developers. It has a yeah. hundred times. It's, it's, in my opinion, Ethereum is, is, is a winner already and the markets haven't realized that. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a big kind of, uh, I wouldn't say a proponent or like, I just, I'm a big believer uh, in the flipping. So I'm, I do think that it's it's a matter of time until uh, Ethereum flips Bitcoin, but uh, yeah, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but it's fine because uh, like, it's actually yeah. it's a it's a con- it's fine. Like I'm going to get offended by it. No, it's a it's a controversial subject in in maximalist views. Thank God this is not that type of show. But to understand, actually, my belief very strongly is that actually other blockchains, including Ethereum, need to and probably will flip in the market cap of Bitcoin. Ethereum may do it in you know now in a few years. It may be the top for a while. There may be something else after that. I don't think that metric is something we need to focus on anymore. And my personal view is these other chains need to grow faster than Bitcoin in order for Bitcoin to succeed because the whole thing needs to get to a 10, 20 trillion dollar market cap. And Bitcoin is just one use case. Bitcoin is one use case that's going to grow immensely. But for crypto, anyone who buys any other crypto is owning Bitcoin. Most people, anyone who's owning Bitcoin is probably owning Ethereum, myself included. Anyone who's owning Ethereum is buying. It, it's not a one and done, like you have to choose one. So that maximalist view is like, oh, Bitcoin will never flip in. You're purposely strapping chains to yourself. You're purposely saying, okay, Bitcoin needs to be the leader in everything for everything else to be successful. That's a selfish way. It's like saying aliens don't exist. Well, maybe they don't, maybe they do, but just because we don't know doesn't mean we know. What you don't know is what you don't know. In fact, the more you know how much you don't know, that's more it's scary. I don't want to know shit anymore. So yeah, that's my view on everything. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. I, I I'm I'm not a, a max like an Ethereum maximalist. I I also own Bitcoin and, and love Bitcoin. I think it, it's like what's maximalism this, is this so stupid. It, it's stupid, right? It's it's like it's like saying that other people's religion is is bad and their god doesn't exist. So you should respect and uh and actually it, it, as you said, it's like we're all in this together and we're fighting the the infrastructure bill we're fighting 
we're finding USD or we're finding like the stupid regulations that uh, people yeah. want to impose on us. We're all fighting the same fight. So maximalism came though to, to to kind of take the other the other side of the coin. Maximalism kind of came out of this need for what was going on in 2011 to 2013 was that Bitcoin was at a constant brink of collapse. There were scams, there were frauds, there were people coming on the forums and stealing everyone's money. Cosby coin was hacking the forums every day. You see Bill Cosby, you know, JPEGs all over the forums. Like, and that was our meeting place. It was the only place. So maximalism came out of this. Bitcoin needs to be the only thing that we talk about and deal with right now because we have to assume that everything is a scam because most things are and we just don't have the power to constantly be picking and choosing which ones are not and which ones are and and but we have to move away from that that's over now we have self-regulatory bodies we have governments now we have sec commissioners who are teaching bitcoin at mit so they can do that job now absolutely yeah fully agree um, I want to talk about EIP 1559. That was such that was watershed moment for Ethereum because would you agree? Probably one of the most talked about controversial hard forks that and upgrades Ethereum had to make over the last few years. And in doing that, in reducing miner, and I and if you can, can you give us like a whole briefer? But in in reducing the the mining reward from the miners, it starts the wheel turning. For the eventual, what are they called? The ice bomb, the ice, the the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. Difficulty bomb. Yeah, the difficulty. The uh, the uh, um ice age. No one uses it during ice age anymore. Yeah. So so give us everything. Sure. So uh, I'll try to wrap it uh, in 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 a few words. But the the idea of um, EIP fifteen fifty nine is like let's let's be more optimal in terms of the the amount of the, the gas that's paid. And if you think of auctions, um, if if you have auctions where people say how much they want to pay and they pay what they offered, if they are the highest bid, that's suboptimal. Mathematically, you can prove that Vicray auctions where you pay what the second highest bid uh, was, uh, if you're the first one, you pay that, that that's, uh, that's better because it incentivizes people to really say the actual amount of money they want to pay and not overshoot or downshoot. Mm. So, um, what happens before 1559 is that people are like, they really want to get into the, into that block, but they pay like a thousand gas. And then they actually, if they say a thousand gas, they pay that thousand gas. So what, what 11, uh, uh, 1559 came to do is let's make this more predictable. The idea is we have like a base price. And then if, if more of, of the sweet spot of the block, um, is used. So there, the maximum block is 30 million. The sweet spot is 15. Whenever more uh, more than fifteen is used, then the baseline price starts to rise, and people have to pay more to be included in a block. Usually, there's like there's a lot open because if if it's always full, then the price will grow so fast that people will stop using uh, that that space in the block, right? So it's it's kind of control theory, which I I studied in, in college. It's really like if a lot of people are using, there's a lot of demand, the price goes up, and then that causes people to reduce. Uh, the usage, and then the price goes down until those two things uh, um, stabilize. The, the the nice thing is that under stable conditions, you always have half of the block open. So it's it's really easy for you to have your transaction included because miners will just say, well, you're paying the base fee, um, or you, you can also pay a tip. So the base fee is, is wow. burned. And if you really want to be like, uh, there's a lot of like, I don't know, there's an N NFT auction. And it's like, 
now at 2 p.m., like everyone's going to try to be on that block. So uh, you, you can pay tips, which is pretty much what 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 happens before 1559. Like whoever pays more gets gets yeah. a space in the block. You can still do that. But now you have like for all other moments where you don't have like those peak rush hours, it's it's a lot more predictable. And there's this equilibrium where uh, half the block is on average used and, and the price is like the ideal price. And the nice thing is that all that baseline uh, fees that are paid don't go to miners. They go to uh, to the burn, like to yeah, to the furnace. So Ethereum is being burned and the more people using Ethereum, the more it's used, the like the more it's deflationary or it will it that's a big deal though is ethereum it's ready for deal. that because typically you'd say that money goes back to miners or to stakeholders yeah. and to grow the whole thing blockchain's big enough now where its network effects can grow uh, it's better to be deflationary for the long-term growth of people holding it but is that are we ready for that is that uh, you think the biggest problem with DeFi today as we know it is there are simply no aggregators or way to bring all of this information and data together so we can trade off of it. If we're going to Uniswap and we're clicking sell, 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 or buy, buy, buy. I mean, imagine staying up till two o'clock in the morning just so you can make a trade. The folks at Paraswap, my newest sponsor, are doing exactly that. They are the fastest and most liquid aggregator on the Ethereum blockchain. They've built a state-of-the-art algorithm that aggregates all the major decentralized exchanges in order to beat the market price. They are willing to offer you on your first swap a 50% gas refund. Check it out in the show notes. I mean, there's no reason not to use PowerSwap. It's the same thing as using any of these other sites, but you're getting a better price, zero slippage, better swap, safer, faster, more secure. Uh, what's what's the downside? There is none that I could think of. And you're getting your first swap, 50% gas fees paid for. It solves every problem that I could think of. Make sure you check them out. They're my sponsors. I love them. And I love them even more that they're pushing crypto forward. That's a good question. I I, I think we are. I think like the biggest critique of, of Bitcoiners uh, towards Ethereum has always been like, yeah, what what's your supply? Like it's going to yeah. be infinite because you're just inflating it. And I think the, the answer... Uh, from from Ethereum is is I think the proper one. Like we we want to inflate as much as necessary to keep the the safety or the security of the protocol. And if you think of Bitcoin, there is no like chance it will uh, go to zero because at some point you have too much Bitcoin, too many Bitcoin to to secure for too little Bitcoin you're giving away to miners. So something yeah. will have to change. It, it's way well, we can kick the the problem down the road for like. Uh, two generations in the future because it's going to take a while. Uh, but well, that's what Satoshi did. Satoshi forced the, the kicking the can down the road in a way, which now is great. But so we don't have to make the decisions now. But as I said, so Ethereum right. had to make that decision now. And so the question was you have this inherently inflationary thing. Everyone thought the answer would be to like cap it or like create a preset schedule. But in the ethos of Ethereum, it was like, hey, we can't do that because we need infl we need that inflationary mechanism to provide security. So therefore, we're going to introduce a deflationary mechanism to create a balance, balance or equilibrium. It's freaking brilliant if it works. I think it's brilliant. It's 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 been working for uh, I don't know uh, maybe almost a week now, and uh, I yeah I I think the 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 idea is is great and. And then we can uh, switch to an, an, another interesting subject that differentiates 
Bitcoin from Ethereum, which is uh, proof of stake and proof of work. That's another kind of rabbit hole, but I think that's the the next step for for Ethereum to be uh, deflationary because you still have to pay for the security of, of the Ethereum blockchain. And, and there's a lot of electricity being burned and you have to pay those two ETH uh, every block to, to miners because otherwise they will just shut down. They will have to shut down. Like if instead of burning a bunch of electricity, you just say, take my ETH and that's a deposit. And it, it's like, you can you can burn it if I, if I do, if I misbehave. Uh, you're not paying electricity. You're just... It's yeah. a it's a a very in, intelligent um, uh, game theoretical way of making sure that people are not going to misbehave, uh, which is, in my opinion, gonna gonna be like the game changer for Ethereum. Like when when proof of stake starts, and, and it's hard to start as a proof sure. of stake because you 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 start very centralized. The distribution is bad. It, if you think of EOS or EOS or whatever uh, other uh, proof of stake, it's 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 not decentralized. So I, I think. Uh, hmm. Ethereum is one of the, maybe the only uh, chain that can challenge Bitcoin in decentralization and is going uh, to uh, to proof of stake in a way that no other chain can. It, it To me, I see like, what you're saying. Um, yeah. I understand what you're saying. You're, what you're saying is that not all blockchains should be and can be proof of stake because there's a distribution problem. Um, not problem, but there's the distribution thing that has challenge. to be worked at challenge. However, Ethereum has very, very, and I will agree with you, very successfully weathered that storm, have dealt with that challenge. It's highly distributed, highly permissionless now, um, highly accessible anywhere in the world. You want to get some ETH. It's not difficult. It's, there's no one really telling you no. So, so you can do all that and you can get to that point. And, and so I agree, you can go proof of stake. Do you think there is a place for even a little bit of proof of work somewhere and the reason I ask is because I have not been able to mentally find a solution to a f to having fully permissionless proof of stake chain. What I mean is that if there's a hundred tokens out there owned by a hundred different people, so it's fully decentralized, those hundred people can still decide to not let me in. And I still need to own one in order to start staking and have a say. And they can choose to say, you can't own any. How do we prevent that? That's a great question. Uh, it's, it's. I agree with the problem uh, on the theoretical side and the purist, the purist view, and and that's an argument that uh, yeah. lots, lots of Bitcoiners make. Like, I can just buy electricity and have a, have a miner, and I'll get Bitcoin, and there's nothing you can do against me, right? Or you cannot prevent me from getting in. Yeah. Uh, the my answer to that, uh, Charlie, is that for that to happen, the there there would have to be no market so there, there there would have to be no price for ethereum or the price would have to be infinite like ah, no one you're saying. would be selling right there there will so always it, be someone selling yes there's, there's always a very liquid market and if you want to get in like it's it's so liquid that it, it's as if you're buying electricity like people could also say you're not getting electricity the government's not giving electricity so you cannot mine you cannot have bitcoin but if you it's Electricity is like money here. If you want to get some ETH to stake, yeah. you have money and there is a very liquid market. So it, it's impossible to prevent you from getting. Ethereum. So the answer is kind of like in the same in the same thing with, with Bitcoin. But the answer to that is there will always be there will always be ETH for sale that someone can get into. And 
the real sticking point here with with Bitcoin, and I'm trying to explain it, see if I can like brain power and then say the words right. But if if everyone on Ethereum decided to prevent one person or whatever from getting in for the same way of all of the miners colluded to prevent someone from, you know, mining or blacklisting a coin, the integrity of the whole system would collapse. So this whole there's no economic incentive to do so. Therefore, the whole experiment of cryptocurrency collapses because that's what we're here. We're incentivizing not greed, but we're, you know, we're kind of incentivizing greed, but we're the money is is the trust. So this yeah. is if so the the we don't want the system to collapse. So we're not going to do anything to prevent the integrity of the system. Therefore, there will always be some permissionless aspect to a proof of stake. I could I could agree with that. Yeah, I think it's 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 like it's a lot harder to prevent someone to buy something if there's like 10 people holding that because I they can agree with that, and yeah. say we're not going to sell to Charlie. He's out of the group. but there's like millions of ETH holders. And there's like uh, tens of thousands of validators. So it, not only it's hard to prevent someone to, to, to have ETH, to, to buy ETH, but it's also very hard to, um, yeah, to leave some validators uh, out because there's tens of thousands. If you have uh, just, I don't know, EOS yeah. or whatever centralized proof of stake chain, it's a, a lot easier to collude and, and, and leave people out. But I, I don't think that's a problem with Ethereum in, in a practical sense. Yeah, in a practical sense. So what... So you study game theory, chaos theory. Um, there was another one that you mentioned too, chaos theory and and whatever. At what point, and there's no real answer here, so I'm not like pinning you to something, but what point does a, let's just say there was a third one, not called Ethereum, but called, you know, Tritherium. At what point is Tritherium proof of work distributed enough where it could transition to proof of stake? At what point does any chain have the ability to transition then? That's a great question. Um... What metrics can we say, look for, right? What metrics can we look for? Yeah, you would say. It's holdership, like how, how many different uh, addresses hold that coin. And it that's easy to game, of course, but uh, it, it's also easy to spot things that are like, they're just uh, the same entity splitting their coins in, uh, I don't know, a thousand addresses. It, it's all on-chain. It's all transparent. So it's easy to spot those things. I think it's uh, yeah. it takes a lot of time. It takes years. It takes like, Five years stress testing going to be stress testing, battle testing. Uh, so I think it's two main uh, metrics. It's how many people hold that and how many validators or uh, miners uh, are there. So if you if you have a new proof of stake coin, you're not going to have many validators. And Ethereum, like the ETH2, like the beacon chain, when it was launched, people thought, okay, there's not going to be enough ETH staked. Sure. And now we have like I don't know five million ETH staked and it, it's know, so it's much more validator, yeah, like decentralized than, than Ethereum one and, and then and then Bitcoin because there's so many more validators. So it's so, a good question, but I yeah, yeah. I think it, it's the the answer is I don't think any any other chains uh, qualify other than Ethereum for for that change. So talk to us about about Balancer and so you guys are built on top of Ethereum and it provides immense amount of security and immutability. What type of pools are being created? Who's creating them? What is like explain it like I'm five? What is liquidity mining and 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 for for the regular Joe or Jane, how can they do that? How can they earn some yield with their decentralized tokens? Sure, I'll start with liquidity mining because it uh, it's a good segue into distribution. So Balancer started as uh, as a project that was backed by, as you mentioned, Charlie, uh, accomplice and placeholder and other 
investors, uh, it started in a very centralized way. Like BAO tokens were held by this small group of people. We we need, and that's always been the plan. Like we need Balancer to be very decentralized, and it's something that will take a lot of time. But a great idea that uh, we had actually uh, people had before us. But this idea of provide like giving tokens to people who provide some added value to the protocol. And in our case, the, the biggest value add you can provide is uh, put your liquidity in the protocol. We'll balance that liquidity for you. So if you want to be exposed to uh, a given index, so I want to have, and that's actually my initial problem when I created Balancer. That was exactly what I was facing. Like I had some DAI, I had some NPR, I had some ETH. I wanted to keep that balanced in a percentage without having to go out and, and sell and buy tokens. Oh, really? Uh, every time there was a change. Yeah, it was a problem that I would had. You, that I were you trying to, to maintain like a dollar value across or just the same amount? The the dollar value, exactly. Oh, cool. So what Bouncer does is exactly that. Like if you have, I don't know, um, let's say 80, 20, 80% of your value is in ETH, but you have some, some safety, 20% in DAI. Uh, if ETH goes up a lot, you end up having 90%, 99%. 99.9. So you don't want you want to you don't want to be overexposed to ETH because if it crashes, you're still going to go uh, down. So what what, what Balancer does is as ETH goes up, it sells ETH for Dai. So you're actually hedging your position. You're Can increasing you the amount to, of Dai you have to try to maintain a profit level too. Can you ask it to try to get like five percent a year or something? That that's something that uh, is is really dependent on how how the market uh, changes because actually the nice thing about Balancer is that it's it's like an index fund where instead of you paying a fee to uh, an admin, like uh, in TradFi, traditional finance, you actually get a fee. Why? Because when you add liquidity to an index fund, to a balancer pool, people can tap onto that liquidity to do trades. And the pool you have will always add a spread to people who are buying or selling. So when people buy and sell, buy and sell, the pool is actually accumulating fees. So not only are you having like the service of rebalancing your portfolio, which is an index fund, you're also getting you're you're getting paid for that. This is like mind blowing, in my opinion. And, yeah, and this is yeah, this is exactly what Balancer does. It, it rebalances your portfolio. Oh, so that's what I was to gonna anything. say. I want to be exposed to this. This portfolio is is one I I want to be exposed to. Like, let's just say, for example, USDC, BTC. And, and wrapped ETH or ETH or whatever. I can join, there's this pool that already exists. I can join this pool. And how do, where is the APR coming from? Is that from the average of all of the, of like the previous year or whatever, of what people were earning based on? And we were, oh, wow. We That's a good question. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. This is cool. I'm, I'm going to play around with this, actually. It's really cool. So that is the daily. Um, amount of fees generated and liquidity mining value you get annualized. So if you have, uh, yeah, I don't know, a, a, a 0.1% uh, of fees relative to the amount of, uh, of value that is in the pool, then you multiply that 0.1. It's not actually multiplication because it's compo compounding and you multiply by 360 and you have the, the amount of uh, the, the APR of the year. Now, that number is the sum of what you get from the fees. As I mentioned, the pool is always selling for more and buying for less. So if you, as people are train, trading, it, it accumulates uh, fees. So there's a percentage that comes from that. Another percentage comes from liquidity mining, which is Balancer Protocol rewarding people or distributing BAL tokens, which is our governance token, to, to people who are actually using the protocol. So 
we want to to get into a state uh, in like I don't know one or two years where the early founders, the early investors, only hold a small percentage of the supply. Most of the supply is just spread around because everywhere, there's yeah. like thousands and like tens of thousands of liquidity providers. They all get some bow, they sell, and 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 that's the beauty of the thing. We like the long term success of Balancer depends on it being decentralized. So liquidity mining is a great tool to to do that, while at the same time kind of uh, incentivizing liquidity to be on a protocol, which makes it useful. I mean, you can see the long-term effects of how this, how DeFi will <clears throat> completely change the world. So just from applying it to like, you know, stock and equities portfolio, the ability to have balancing on that would be immense for regular people to be able to tap into and access that. That's something that only major hedge funds who are paying Traders 24 hours a day sitting there, quant traders to do that balancing constantly. You can have representation of shares as tokens on balancer probably in a few weeks if the regulations allowed for it. I mean, could are will regulations allow for that? I mean, that's kind of crazy. I, the ability to like tokenize my building, if I owned a building, you know, put it up there on that is that exists already, Charlie. Uh that exists. And and like there's a project, and, and it's not the only one called Rio T. Which is exactly that they they tokenize a property, and then if you own a, a, a share of that property, you actually get uh, the, the the rent daily onto your wallet. Daily, so it, it, it's it's all legal. They're like uh, registered in the U.S. They have houses in Detroit and and, and I don't know Boston and, and many cities in the U.S. It's called realty, and and actually oh I heard of this yes yeah so. The nice thing about Balancer is that if they were to use another EMM like Uniswap, they would have like house one and then ETH, house two, ETH. So that would break the liquidity across many different pools. With Balancer, they can just have like one pool with 20 houses and then all the liquidity is in this one place and you can exchange any house for any house and uh, it's all there. So like DAI though, like DAI, how you get, you can mint, like DAI or like Kava, you can mint a token based on whatever assets you're putting in there. Can you do that with this? Is is the portfolio represented in a token format? Yes, oh, that's oh, cool. exactly what it is. So when you add liquidity to a pool, you actually get the pool token, which is fungible. So anyone adding liquidity to that pool gets the same token. If they add twice as much as you, they get twice as much uh, in, in, in that token. And that token can be oh. used as collateral on Aave, for example. Uh, so you can, you can put that... Um, that pool token on Aave, and then you can borrow some Dai. You can you can use that on on uh, MakerDAO really? as well. So there's lots of ways you can use that as. So a let's talk system. theory. Let's talk theory for a second. Someone has Bitcoin. You don't want to take a traditional like interest only loan for that because then you're just kind of like paying. It does. It's just not attractive. You want to do like a thirty year mortgage on a property. You could like buy the property already somehow wrap it into that and then be able to borrow against it. It's a much better situation, I think, than borrowing against your Bitcoin in a way. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Yeah. That's the power of smart, this smart is contracts. It's it's so beautiful. Like it I if mean this like, is yeah. the future now, then what does the future future look like for DeFi? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Right? I think it's it's gonna be so crazy. Like, yeah, I I've said that already, but I think in like five to ten years Finance will be like mostly Ethereum or whatever. If there's another chain that overcomes Ethereum, I don't believe that. But I, I think it will be uh, based on uh, most of it based on Ethereum. In 20 years, we're not going to like talk about 
the 70s and 80s uh, kind of systems that we still use today. It's it's so there's so many middlemen. There's so much. Uh, it's so clunky and and yes, yeah. It, I can't. I like. But not only that. Regulators. And, yeah. It's not just about that. I look at, I look at for the sake of humanity. If we don't bring about globalized equality, the powers that be are always going to try to like push us into corners and force us to hate each other and create these like bullshit reasons we should hate each other. And we need to like move away from that, make information free, but also make the ability for everyone to earn an income completely equal. And so what I want kind of, and we'll end the show with this one, I want everyone to realize with Balancer, with Ethereum, with the majority of cryptocurrency is that this is a completely permissionless and free protocol. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. Most of the time, it doesn't matter where you are, but there are jurisdictional geofencing. But, you know, so for that, but most of the time, it doesn't not, matter. Not for the protocol. Yeah. The, for, not for, for, for the website, yeah. but not for the protocol for the, itself. Exactly. What people Perfect. need to realize is that this whole protocol, you can download its current state on your PC or phone most of the time. These are decentralized protocols that you now have new revenue streams. You have new income. You, have the, you don't need to get a job anymore from the local boss of the village. That's why this is so fucking important. Fernando Martinelli, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. I appreciate you. Thank you so really much. Really so much. Everyone, how can they check out Balancer? What, what are the links that they can follow so, you and follow Balancer? So Balancer Labs is our uh, Twitter. My my Twitter Twitter handle is FC Martinelli. And the best way to get involved is to go to our Discord, which is discord.balancer.fi. I've been liking and, Discords lately. Yeah. I've been I like yeah. Discords. They're fun. Lots of Discord. Yeah, Discord's yeah. Uh, around. So discord.balancer.fi and Twitter is probably the best ways to be kind of uh, up to date on balancer. Awesome. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much. It, it's been great chatting, Charlie.